The Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the New Testament reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety? We have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, there are many things to be excited about. Um, If you don't understand the prayer that we had for Hector, we've been praying for years now that um, immigration things would go favorably and He's been apart from his son and his wife for years now. And you might have thinking praying against uh, immigration laws and lawyers would, was, would be to no avail. But lo and behold, this last week we found out Hector, um, all of his paperwork got passed. And he's going to be coming home to his wife and child who has not seen over, except uh, a couple trips they got to make to, to South America, pretty much over, other than like Skype or FaceTime. Um, uh, so is our hearts rejoicing? There are also many hearts breaking um, in that uh, uh, someone is off the market. A person in our church is now engaged. Um, I'll let you figure out who it is, but she is engaged, and there, I'm sure there are many people who are going, ah, if I had only asked her earlier. Um, and so, but you have to find out who she is, and she can tell you her herself. Um, I know you're all wondering who it is. Um, uh, as we're looking at our text today, as we're getting into, we're, fil- we're getting towards the end of our series, as we're looking at the commandments, uh, uh, a common picture people think of that, that these are the commandments or are they the suggestions, um, suggestion box. Uh, I'm open to taking your suggestions, but I don't have to take them. Uh, it's how some of us may view or feel or think about uh, the commandments. But today we're looking at, uh, do not bear false uh, witness or false testimony against your neighbor. 
We're talking about truth, and we're talking about lying. Um, and so who else do we go to? I found a good lawyer joke. Um, and this actually is less than a joke than a reality. I know some of you might be lawyers by trade or have good friends who are lawyers, but uh, in North Carolina, there's a lawyer who actually has a big billboard uh, that says it right now, um, just because you did it doesn't mean you're guilty. <laughs> um, uh, and as we're talking about, uh, again, truth and, and honesty and, and not um, bearing false testimony. Uh, the question I ask is, who do you rely on? Who do you trust when it comes to um, telling the truth? This reminded me of a story about a crab. Uh, I had an uncle who was not very trustworthy. And we used to go to a lake growing up and we would, do, we would get crabs. And uh, there was a bucket full of these, these crabs in it. And this uncle who I didn't trust that well said, now be careful, Chris, they jump. And I remember thinking, that is just preposterous. Crabs don't jump. Their little teeny legs can't do it. Um, and so to prove I knew what I was talking about, I waved my hand over the crabs. And lo and behold, Mr. Blue Crab leapt out of the thing and pinched my little hand. And I cannot tell you how much it hurts. Um, it hurts so much. And it reminded me today, as I was thinking about this, is... Um, Thinking about when my uncle said crabs jump, and the struggle was I had struggled one listening to him, and he had a struggle with the fact that he told lies all the time that I couldn't trust him. And we're looking at today is that the 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 warning of not understanding truth, not understanding this commandment, is as dangerous or even more dangerous really than waving your hand over a bottle a box of blue crabs. The question I really ask is, do you have a problem with lying? Yes or no? Where do you draw the line between saying it's a lie and saying it's not? Or really put it succinctly, why does God care so much about lying? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray now for the children upstairs, Lord God, and the teachers that you would bless their time. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you to bless this time. May we leave this place more passionate, more deeply understanding of how much we need you and how wonderful you are. This is a work only you can do. To the glory of your son's name we pray. In his name we pray. Amen. So the commandment, Exodus 20.13, I mean 20.16 is simply, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And again, the question people ask, just like all of your commandment, you should ask is, what's a lie and what's not a lie? I call this the Bambi effect. Uh, I have met many people who... Uh, Growing up with their, in college age, they had never actually seen the beginning of Bambi because the parents were so worried about them seeing the beginning of the opening gunshot scene that they only started Bambi like, you know, five minutes into the movie. And so the question is, was that lying by not showing them the beginning of Bambi? Um, and just like the commandment with murder, the, 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 we saw the essence of that was that, that God, isn't a, God isn't saying killing uh, in all forms is inappropriate. Murder is what he's talking about. In the same way here... Whereas we're going to see, just to cut to the chase, when we're talking about what does it mean to verse Exodus twenty sixteen, if you see the verse there, in essence, what we're talking about is we're talking about um, saying or allowing an untruth to occur that causes hurt to someone else. So, I'm not talking about Bambi or the beginning of Bambi. We're talking about truth and what this commandment is pushing us towards. The way they understood it in the Old Testament, again, the, the way their, their laws worked. If you were to read Exodus 23, 1 through 19, is that the, the way the system was supposed to work was that there was a, a, a level 
this commandment, there was a level of integrity that was expected amongst the people of God that even foreigners, if they were in the court system or foreigners were interacting in trade, if insiders or outsiders were interacting with the people of God, there was a presumption of honesty and fairness in every aspect. Something unheard of, both to the Israelites themselves to to treat others unlike them in an equitable way would have been hard. In the same way, to treat their own people that way. This is what the commandment was pointing. So there was a heavy idea here with how you testified in court, um, willingly saying something inappropriate about someone or allowing someone else to do that. This is extended culturally. It was, a, it was very impactful. And so again, the question you need to ask is, what are your views about them? Made popular by the what is, is. What they mean by is, by our former president. Where do you draw the line? And more importantly, who draws that line for you? See, we see this is not, as we said at the beginning, it's not really a suggestion. It's a commandment. Do not lie. Do not bear false testimony. So what does that look like? How does Christ bring that? So let's go to our passage in the New Testament. How does Christ magnify this? Well, the first thing I want to point out is that is, is deception, is, is lying, is it an issue? You might say it's not an issue for me at all. I'm truthful at all points in time. And I would say that's, again, like all of these commandments, if you think it's just a matter of I don't say a lie, Therefore, I don't have a problem with this commandment. If that was as simple as that, God wouldn't have had to give them to us in this form. Jesus wouldn't have had to come and fulfill them. That means there's something else deeper. There's something else wrong with us. And again, as we see, what Christ always tries to help us see is that this is not just a matter of our hands. And this, these last two commandments are very different. This, this one has to do with more of our words, not our hands. Almost every, the prior commandments had almost everything to do with our hands, except for the first four which dealt more with our relationship with God. This one has to do with our words. When I was uh, preparing for this sermon, interesting enough, right then, that week, there was an article that came out by, uh, so just, just this past week, an article came out by researchers at a university that talked about this, you know, news and how it spread so quickly over social media. Um, you know, the fake news or whatever kind of news, and they decided that they're going to research this a little bit. And they found something interesting, which again, reveals a little bit about human nature. They tracked sources of news that went out, uh, both just truthful news and uh, fake or and factual news, news that was not true and news that was true, both in like entertainment world and political or whatever. And they found some interesting facts that news, remember, so it's not people get news and know it's, it's, it's fake or it's not true or it's false. But what happens is, naturally as humans, they found out that what is spread over media, what's spread amongst people, uh, false information spreads completely more, just integrated, goes faster than truth. And again, it's not that people said, here's here's, here's something true, I'm going to tell you, and they're like, I don't want to pass it. It said, here comes a piece of news, and people have to decide, do I share this or do I not share it? And whatever is wrong with us on the heart we find out that we just love sharing news that's wrong. Information that's not true. Lies. Everybody, humans around the world. 
Again, it wasn't that they got information and said this is, this is real and they didn't want to pass it. It's they got a piece of information and naturally wanted to share the lies. So if you don't think this problem is yours, it is. It's inside every one of us. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of great movies that talk about conspiracies and true. There's a lot of great quotes I could give you. Um, you know, so as we're moving forward to what Jesus said, you know, there's the, the, office, the, the, um, the movie with Tom, uh, Tom Cruise, You Can't Handle the Truth. Um, the Matrix where it says you're about to take, the, do you want the blue pill or the red pill? Do you want to know the truth or not the truth? And so I'm preparing you guys as we dig deeper into what Christ is saying here. He's like, not only can you not handle the truth, but you need to know the truth. You need to be aware of what the truth is so that you can promote it and know it and guard with it. So how does Christ magnify this? Well, first to understand how they talk about it in the New Testament. The Westminster Larger uh, Catechism, I, we read the shorter. I would encourage you to go read the longer one. It's intense on what this one little commandment means. It covers a lot of ground. But just to highlight a few passages in the New Testament, what it means this. First one, as Jesus teaches us in Matthew, that every careless uttered word you'll be held responsible for. This is where we get the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in that same passage. Just saying things without thinking, it means also what you say and you think about, you'll be held accountable for. Again, in Matthew, Christ says very clearly, to be a people of God means to that your yes is yes and your no is no. No falsity. No presumption of anything other than just being truthful. In John, Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. He associates lying with the devil. And in Ephesians, we see and again, this might be hard for many of you to hear, and just why you really need to hear it. Many of us, when we talk to people, our goal is to either win the argument or prove that we're right. The New Testament, where Jesus takes this commandment and says this, ready? And this is going to be hard for some of you to hear. Some of you might need to turn to some friends and say, is this me? The New Testament says that what you're saying, what you're saying is just as important as how you're saying it, or put it this way, how you say it, and when you say it, is just as important as what you're trying to say. Do you hear that? The New Testament is elevating truthfulness to a whole nether level. It's not just about saying something that is true and not saying that it's false. It's also thinking completely about the person in which you're interacting. So having the right thing to say at the wrong time is a violation of this commandment. Again, I encourage you to read Westminster Larger Confession. They, they talk a great deal more at length about this, but that passage right there is there also. So what does it mean to, to, to talk about this? What does it mean we're, we're saying? Again, we're, our goal is not just simply saying no lies. It goes deeper and far, but that's when we need to look at this passage in Acts. Um, if I were to describe what, why I wanted to look at this passage in Acts, I was basically describe it as like a truth bomb. <laughs> Peter's just laying a big truth bomb on everybody around him. Anyone who's in shouting distance of him, he's going to throw a truth at you, and he wants you to hear what's happening. So the setting, as we already saw, Peter, as you know or may not know, Peter was this guy who himself lied to other people about whether or not he knew Jesus. Many times. 
And now Christ has died, he has risen again, and Peter is now sharing people about this truth that Jesus Christ has died and now is residing in heaven. And there's this beggar who's come to this place where they know people are going to be walking by. And there's an assumption you were going to give. So he was there. Everyone knew about this beggar. So it's a story that could be verified. No one would have thought this was a plant. Because you can see that from reaction for all the people. And this is where our event takes place. So the first part of verses 1 through 3. Peter and John were going to the temple, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Put that in your cell phones. Ninth hour is time for prayer. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask for alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. He wanted something from them. This is Peter. And again, so Peter, in this event, there's the apostles. There's going to be the beggar. And then you see there's going to be the crowd coming to hear this. And this is the beginning. This is where the part one, this is the setting of the, the, the court case where they're going to be asked to give testimony. So in verses four through eight, four through eight are really are looking at, again, the, the truth that Peter's going to be giving is about um, some identity that's going to be going on here. So let's read verses four through eight. And it says this. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So he's basically like, put the iPhone down. <laughs> Look over here. Let's make sure there's no confusion about what's happening. So they see him, he sees them, and they make sure that they're just, this is just them. There's no one else in the room except them. Look at us. And he fixes his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This was a directive. When Jesus was training them how to be disciples, he said, you go without anything. To teach them that all they had, the most important item they carried with them, was their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter and John are seeing this guy who's saying, I need something. And they're saying, yes, you do. Here's a truth bomb. What you need is not, you may need money, but that's not what you need. What you need now is something far greater. And what I love here, there's a, there's a side truth that's here as well. This is a truth of what we can expect to hope at the resurrection. We know all things will be made right. Bodies will be healed. The lame will walk and rise. We will rejoice in a way unknowable at this point. There's a promise of that right here. This is what we have. This is a truth. This is what we have coming to us in Jesus Christ. But this is what they see this man and say, here's the first truth. Look at us. And again, they paint a perfect picture. We got nothing but what I have. What I do have is far greater than silver or gold. What I have is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to call on him now. And that's what happens. They're telling this beggar what the real problem is and what the real solution is. And we get to now verses 9 through 11. So again, we can see this, this event happened. And as that happened, something wonderful even happened beyond that. 
So verses uh, 8, so we're going to go through. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While they clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So what's, again, what's happening here? They're, they're coming to find out what is going on. They're, gonna, they're in wonder and amazement. They want to know this truth. See, again, part of the picture we're painting is that there's something God wants us to be as his people of God. There's something desperate he's desiring in this commandment as being fulfilled in our hearts. And we're seeing a picture of that. People are coming and running to find out what has just happened. When people come to you to ask you what has happened to your life to make you the way you are, how are you prepared to answer that question? It's like the courtroom is being set. The people are gathering. The witnesses. Everyone is coming to the room, the courtroom, to hear this testimony. And that's what Peter was hoping to have happen. He made a big spectacle. And this is what has happened. People have gathered around now. And this is important. John Piper points out, and I think, I think he's absolutely correct. The reason why um, Peter goes into this next part is because the, the beggar is clinging to the apostles and praising God. He's praising God but you know whom he's not praising? The name of Jesus. And he's clinging to the apostles. And Peter uses this to bring his next truth bomb to everyone around him. I remember watching uh, the, 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 the movie Hook a while back, and uh, the, um, Captain Hook was talking with his people about should they tell, lie or tell the truth, and he remember he was looking at a mirror thinking very proudly of himself, and he goes, why lie when the truth is far too fun? He was an evil character, but the point is true. There is power in telling the truth. And Peter is now about to do this. So everyone's gathered. People are gathered. They're in amazement. They want to know what's happened. They're, they're utterly astounded. This lame man is praising God. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified the servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy, the holy and righteous one and asked for murder be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. We see Peter, I think, having... I see three aims here that Peter has. He's sharing them. Again, they've come together. And the first aim I see is he's testifying to what's going on. He's dropping a massive truth bomb on them now. So the first was to the beggar. Now it's all these people gathering. And again, the three things I kind of see is first, he's pointing out who, who needs to hear this. And he's calling everyone together. Sons of Abraham, all of you, listen. So he's making sure that everyone in the room understands they need to hear this truth. Secondly, he needs to reveal some truth to them. He's about to reveal a massive truth truth to them. He tells them, you have missed the righteous one. You have missed Jesus Christ. You 
by your actions or interactions, but you as a, as a culture, you as a people, have crucified the Son of God. He's bearing witness to the truth. This reminds me of William Carey when he went to India as a missionary. There was a practice called seti, seti, which was when a husband died, they would often sometimes burn the widow alive. And he saw this and declared this not good and helped bring about an end to that because of how he viewed life according to the gospel. In the same way, Peter is saying, you must find life. You have missed it. You rejected it. He was bearing with them a hard truth. And then lastly, though, he points them to the truth. As witnesses, there's a lot he could have said. He said, it is not us. We are not special. As a matter of fact, you missed the special one. You rejected him. But guess what? It is him, Jesus, we are testifying to. Look at verse 16, and this is where we end. And by his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. They point to the ultimate truth. They point to Jesus Christ. The hope that we have in the gospel. We're saying what you have missed, you can still claim. You have not made a mistake you cannot come back from. Christ is still there for you. He shares this to everyone there. It is in Christ we find what it is we're missing. Peter who lied about knowing Christ is now proclaiming Christ is all he has. So how does Christ magnify this? It's not just about lying. It's not just about lying. The gospel tells us that our hearts are corrupt. We always lean towards deception. We always lean in that direction. But only the gospel can bring healing and hope and give us a true ultimate hope and ultimate trust in Jesus Christ. What the gospel wants to see in us, what the world needs to see in us is a people who are so satisfied in the gospel that at any point in time, whomever it is we are dealing with, we are so secure, so hopeful, so purposeful, so fulfilled in Jesus Christ that whomever we encounter, whether it's a child, whether it's an adult, whether it's a foreigner, whether it's someone from another religion, no matter who they are, because we call in the name of Jesus Christ, they can trust us. Because that's what we had in Jesus Christ. This is what this gospel, this is what this commandment is pushing towards. That we must be like Christ. Not just in the truth he brought, but in the heart and the way he brought it to everyone. This is who we are to be. This is our identity. So have you been lying to yourself or others about the need or the power of God in your life? Have you been embracing the wrong Savior, trusting the wrong person, putting your hands over a bushel of crabs? You can turn to Jesus Christ. Take him as your truth. Let him be the truth that you're proclaiming to those around us. 
he brought this ultimate truth to us. We can completely trust everything he says because we know he would never violate this ninth commandment. And so as he changes our hearts, your prayer should be that the people around you could come to you and trust you. Not because you're special, not because you're educated, but because you know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that honors him, that points others to him, and it tells you of your need for him and the gospel in your life. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, Lord, help us to see that as Peter claimed the promise and the knowledge and the hope that you are all he has, he became excellent at sharing the truth. Lord, help us to be completely satisfied in you, completely trusting your gospel, so that we would not be afraid to share the truth, we would not be afraid to make hard decisions, and that people would come to us because we know you. All to the glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who makes all this possible. Amen. Please stand.